not going to intimidate me. I'm entitled to my opinion. From the galactic controversy. What are you passionate about? What do you want? That's your opinion and your all right. Well, uh, welcome back to Entitled Opinion. We have Nate Hensley here. Welcome, Nate, and Al, of course. Thanks for having me, guys. Yep. Good to have you on, man. What is, Nate, what is your most controversial opinion you are passionate about? I gave this a lot of thought because I'm sort of an old school guy that doesn't really talk about things like politics and religion in public. You know, it's not really for me, especially these days. But something that's come up recently in the world of movies is this new Willy Wonka movie with Timothy Chalamet. Ah. And more than any opinion I've ever had, I've never got so much put much pushback as the fact that Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a far superior movie to the original one. Um, wow. This, like I said, I get a lot of pushback because everybody saw the original when they were kids. So it's got nostalgia, but the new one's just other, other than Gene Wilder, not taking anything away from him. He's, <laughs> he's the best that has ever played the role of Willy Wonka, but that movie isn't that good. So <laughs> there you go. I, I don't know if that's the sort of controversial opinion uh, you were looking for. <laughs> I think but, it's open to interpretation what that question means, but I think that's a great controversial opinion because when I, when I think of really good movies, I think of movies that I have seen as a kid. There's very few movies that I've seen recently that are like in my top 10. And, uh, and I think one that comes to mind is a Christmas story. The one where, you know, you're going to shoot your eye out kid. And I can't yeah. get you a gun. That's really not that good of a movie. It's not even that it's not really that funny, but it's such a great, it's up there. It's like the, it's one of the hall of fame movies for me and my family because we watch it every year. Christmas and without that movie it's not really a Christmas you know with that in mind depending on the age of who you ask you'll get a different answer about what their favorite Star Wars is yeah because the Star Wars whatever iteration that you saw first and blew your mind when you were a kid nothing's nothing's gonna top that you know yeah so are you, are you a Marvel guy or a DC guy uh, comics wise, I always love DC because they did different kinds of comic books and Marvel had one linear crossover heavy thing for movies though. Uh, Marvel takes the cake. Uh, yeah, it's hard to, in the, the Hollywood space, it's hard to beat Marvel. They've really taken yeah. over. They really have. Um, well, so I have a question based off of the Willy Wonka mm -hmm. 2000s era being better. Can you think of any movies that are better than the book they might have been based on? I think the, uh, the novel, The Silence of the Lambs, is excellent. It's a great book, and you should read it. I think the movie captures everything great about the book, only it has the amazing actors to elevate it even more. Mm -hmm. So I would say Silence of the Lambs is a better movie than a book, but it's that hardly ever happens. That's so, interesting. I didn't even not I didn't even know that was a book that before it came out. Yeah, uh Red Dragon, Hannibal, uh Silence of the Lambs, 
an author named Thomas Harris wrote several books about the character. So it seems and, that when the immersion is increased or when when the the best elements of the story are distilled through the visual medium, that's it, it amplifies the greatness. Yeah. Uh, also, you get things like not just score and soundtrack and music, uh, but sound effects and all these things you can't get from a book or a comic. And I'm not saying one is better than another. All these mediums have their own pros and cons. But uh, I think that's the reason movies are so important in our culture these days. Mm -hmm. it sort of combines everything. So touching upon sound effects, on mm -hmm. your podcast, A Scary Home Companion, do you, how much of the sound design do you do? Where do you get the sound effects from? Where do you get the music from? Uh, the uh, A Scary Home Companion is a, uh, a two-person production. I do all the writing, the narrating. Uh, when, we get, when we need guest voices, I recruit them and you know, record their stuff. And then my partner, Jeff Davidson, I send all the material to him. He uh, edits it, produces it, punches it up, and adds music and uh, sometimes sound effects. Uh, usually we just do in-house sound effects. I'll knock on the door or somebody got their face ripped off. I like slurped grape jelly out of the palm <laughs> of my hand. Um, and <laughs> virtually all of our music comes from a website called Free Music Archive. Uh, which has tens of thousands of tracks. And as long as you credit them, um, which we do in the credits in the show notes, you're allowed to, to use it. Um, on some occasions, I've had people um, write and record music originally for the show. And we always love that when that happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we would love awesome. to have people. We had uh, to do the intro to this podcast. My cousin, he, he produces his own music and he helped us uh, put together the intro to this. And he, he did a really great job, in my opinion, on putting it together. And then we sliced in some clips from movies uh, where they're saying entitled opinion and controversial opinion, you know, stuff right. like that, because it kind of ties to our to the theme of our podcast. So I'm, I'm curious about uh, looking at the, the topics that we that we sent over the mm -hmm. I, I watched Insidious today. That's that's a one of my one of my favorite scary movies. Oh, you watched the first one, or did you see the new one? I watched the first one, the first one mm. today. Re rewatched it. Um, so why do you think people intentionally seek out scary things? I well, I I don't know why I do, but I love scary movies. I think they may be my favorite genre of of film. Scary movies and comedies are always in style. Um. You know, and there are upswells, you know, there's not a new horror movie every week, but consistently every year, there are a handful of ones that really break out. And the same thing with comedies. They're, um, these, I think, are the two genres that are sort of universal. Uh, despite your culture or, where, or however old you are, um, everybody likes the thrill of not necessarily fear, but that sort of thrill and everybody likes to laugh. These, uh, when we watch dramas, they have to be relatable. Um, and comedies and horror is a form of escapism. Um, you know, being in Florida, home of the uh, home of the theme park, 
I always see that as very similar. Roller coasters and horror movies scratch the same itch for different people. Mm -hmm. It's a thrill of almost being killed. <laughs> yeah. Um, experiencing something scary in a safe way. Um, I think that has a lot to do with it because uh, going back hundreds of years, uh, uh, people, uh, there are always scary stories uh, across mediums. Um, you know, now we have horror movies, but you know, Bram Stoker and uh, horror novels from a long time ago, EC comics were really gory, nasty comics in like the 50s and 60s. Uh, there's, there's always a market for that thrill of fear. I wonder if the the need for that thrill is akin to how a cat will sort of play with it, an animal before it kills it or how it even kills animals that it doesn't eat. It's like it's in this constant practice of murder for when it has to be able to kill to eat its food. And I wonder if we test ourselves and we have some need to test ourselves and our emotions in this way so that when something does happen, we know how we're going to respond. I think that's an excellent point. Uh, it also explains why there are so many different kinds of horror movies, because mm -hmm. there are that many different kinds of people. Um, the, 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 the latest killer doll movie, is it Megan or? Yeah, Megan. I actually watched that recently, too. You know, that one is, I haven't seen it yet. But, it's pretty uh, good. I thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was I, pretty good. Good and and it's funny and it's sort of thrilling more than scary. Um, and then you have like super dark nihilistic just gore movies, uh, and they're both in the horror genre, but they're very very far apart. Mm -hmm. I gotta say, it's hard. I have a hard time watching the Saw movies mm -hmm. because it's it's like pointless torture. The first one's yeah, really I good. I don't find it. I don't find it scary. I find it disturbing but maybe but maybe that's maybe that's a different kind of uh, subgenre of of horror that maybe i don't like so much a long time ago stephen king wrote a book about horror and 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 writing and i'm paraphrasing here but uh he has a passage in there where first he tries to be scary and then he tries to be thrilling and then he tries to sell atmosphere, and when all else fails, go for the gross out. Mm -hmm. um, just, mm. and that always stuck with me because all these different facets of horror, and some people like to be scared. Uh, some horror movies are just like Saw. They're really more just upsetting than anything. You know, they're just gross. Yes, yeah, Saw. Um, upsetting is a good word for Saw. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, in my show, I try to... It's one of the great things about horror is I try to cover all these different kinds. Um, it's sort of an anthology show. So I can do a Western horror. I can do something more lighthearted about a stand-up comedian who accidentally gets booked at a convention for Satanists. And, uh, and then I go real dark and heavy. Um, uh, Nah, I won't say anything too gross here. Don't want to alienate. <laughs> no, no, you can, right. no, you can say You're completely say it free. Yeah. Um, one of my litmus test episodes, and it's one of my better ones. It, it's a, it's an episode called Guts, and it's done in the second person, uh, like Catcher in the Rye. You, mm -hmm. you wake up in this room. You've been abducted, 
and this killer has taken you and somebody you don't know, slit you both open just a little bit on the belly, and then tied you together by the guts. And how, that's, that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. Um, so I used the you aspect because I wanted it to be, I wanted it to be visceral and, and upsetting. Um, and, but that's where it starts. How could you possibly get out of a situation like this? Um, the more you struggle, the worse it gets. Yeah, like it has that. a saw element to it. Yeah, I've, well, yeah. It's so, uh, we're not afraid of guts. So I think Alec has, he's talked to me a lot about his, uh, is a Chuck Polinek's book where yeah. the guy gets stuck on the bottom the of, the, of the pool Saint drain. Saint Gut-Free. Yeah, yeah, he's trying to my favorite short stories. And, yeah. and his, his asshole gets stuck in the drain and it sucks his insides out. Yep, I, I remember that one vividly. Uh, he's, uh, there's a writer with some punch, that guy. Oh, man, he goes for it. He's one of my favorite authors. And that's, but, I mean, yeah, talk about I a good film. I didn't read the book, I didn't, but I like the film adaptation, but so does, uh, so does everybody and their mom. It's because it's so good, though. Yeah. How do you not like it? <laughs> so, so before we get into the how you make the episodes, I do want to hear your opinion on um, how you, what you find funny. So you do scary stories and you say the, other side of the coin is comedy. Are there, is there a certain era of comedy that you find the best? And uh, if so, what era is that? Hmm. That's, that's a tough question. Uh, I, I watch a lot of uh, TV comedy. Um, that is my preferred format. 20 or 30 minutes. There, there are some good comedy movies. Uh, there are, I think it's easier to be funnier for 30 minutes than for a hundred minutes. Mm-hmm. I watch a lot as the, the, with the rum ham shirt. Yes. Uh, I'm a huge sunny in Philadelphia fan. The implication. Um, yeah. Uh, I grew up like a lot of people watching Simpsons. Um, and I can't watch the new ones. I still love the first 10 or 12 seasons for, um, how sub- quietly subversive they were, as well as being funny. Mm-hmm. Um, big fan of that. Of course, uh, Futurama uh, as well. Those get replayed. I'm trying to think of the last like great comedy movie I saw. I'm sure I'm, it'll come. Yeah, I mean, I what comes to mind for me is Super Bad because that I watched that. Also watched that. Watched that recently, and I thought that was. Like one of the that and like um the hangover movies, I really like those the the first one and and super bad because it was like the it was shot at a time before internet had completely taken over yeah it was it was like almost a snapshot before we all got fucking like eaten up by yeah Facebook and, and instagram and and if you watch super bad it's a it's like a story of kids and they're using flip phones right and it's like it was that's like a era that's forgotten and i but I, that that type of comedy i thought was absolutely hilarious it probably put jonah hill on the on the map it, it put a lot of people on the map right because i think that was uh seth rogan and evan goldberg that was one of their first big hits mm-hmm. like as writer directors whatever uh, and I, they're a juggernaut now i mean yeah. 
how many years has it been? And they're still pumping out movies and shows several times a year, it seems. Yeah. Yeah, they're killing it. And another way I like to consume comedy is watching comedians. I don't know if mm-hmm. you're into any comedians, but uh, I try to go see a couple a year. I most re- recently saw Burt Kreischer. He's, but I love you, Burt, but he isn't my type of comedy, to be honest. I went, sure. to, I, I bought his ticket because I thought Shane Gillis was going to be on that, on that leg <laughs> of the tour, but he wasn't, but it was still a great show anyway. But uh, I'd say my top comedians now are, um, Theo Vaughn. Norman. Oh, but I mean, I, I love Theo Vaughn too. But I'd, I'd say Mark Norman is probably my favorite comedian right now, and I'm going to see him in November. Sweet. But I, I find the I find the people who go up and they they work on their their uh, craft and they they get better and go in front of audiences and try it out and they they throw a joke out there and the audience responds. Oh, you know they don't laugh and it's like okay, well I'm gonna scratch that joke and uh, and then they put together through trial and error like 45 minutes of really good comedy and that's i I like that stuff because it's real contemporary and it's like Mm -hmm. happening now and they got to figure out what's funny and it's that's not that's very hard to do uh i uh george carlin is probably my all-time favorite stand-up comic i didn't realize until a few years ago because i watched carlin when i was very young and when i was a teenager and all that how many bits of his I've just incorporated into my worldview, you know, his, Mm. his thoughts on America and politics and race. He was so funny and really like, he sounds contemporary. If you listen to him now, he still hits just as hard. Uh, Dave Chappelle, one of the all time best. I'll watch any Dave Chappelle, uh, Mm -hmm. Bill Burr, uh, actually had Bill Burr tickets about six months ago. And uh, my wife got COVID, so we couldn't go. That was a bummer. Yeah. Um, oh man, I actually I've I, seen uh, I've seen uh, Bill Burr. I live in Cleveland. He came to Cleveland last year, and we saw him at the uh, Quicken Loans Arena, which is where the the Cavs play. And then I also saw Chappelle up here, um, live, and that was they were both really awesome. Obviously, uh, I think Bill Burr is uh, it might be like top three. Chappelle, he's he's become very preachy when he gets up on stage and less funny which is is still good but you know it's you know it's not as funny bother me in his case um because i mean he's been so funny for years but he doesn't preaching i don't know if i would have used that word but he doesn't feel like he's up there to do comedy he's up there to talk to send a message Uh, so you know maybe it doesn't work for everybody i just uh but I, I mean, he's, he's still, I mean, he's, he's still one of my favorites, but what he does is a little different than comedy in, in my opinion. And uh, Al, you mentioned Theo Vaughn. Yes. I think he's hilarious, <laughs> although I've really only seen him on doing bits on podcasts, you know? There uh, is a hilarious um, podcast that he hosted with Riff Raff. I don't know if you guys know Riff Raff. Yeah. Riff Raff is a fascinating character. When you see him first coming up on the whatever hokey rap scene he was doing, He's like so thin and just such a skinny boy. And then obviously has been roided to the teeth and is just enormous. And I've seen these different interviews with him and he's working out and he's just got the shit eating grin while he's working out. So Theo and Riff Raff get together on a podcast and they're both wearing Viper shades. They both got the mullets pulled I've back. Seen clips from that. Yes. And they're just going back with these like 
these puns and and one-offs and i guess the ac was broke wherever they were doing it so they're just sweating bullets that had me in stitches the way they were going back and forth there <laughs> uh, and nate you were saying that george carlin's one of your favorites for me george carlin isn't always laugh out loud funny he's he's like a thinking person's comedian but in that same vein for me of how of incorporating that kind of philosophy it was bill hicks bill hicks was a hilarious comedian and then you kind of like take for granted some of the stuff he says and and i think very ahead of his time as well uh hugely influential i i would think i uh, uh bill hicks is i don't know that i could call him one of my all-time favorites because his he died so young his body material is so small i how much better would he have gotten in another 10 years? Yeah. How much angry were, or, but yeah, I still, uh, he has some of my favorite standups of all time. Uh, yeah. Good call on Bill Hicks. Sweet. Well, getting back into uh, what we've brought you on. So Nate, you have a podcast called a scary home companion and you tell basically scary stories and it in a sense evokes this kind of like old timey radio show. And we're curious about how this came to be because it seems I, I was scrolling in your back catalog and you guys started in 2018, I think. Yep. And even in some of those early episodes, it might be hard for you to listen to some of that early stuff, but it comes out to me hot out the gates. Like it seems like it's well done. So it seems to me like you had some kind of experience with this kind of a thing? Uh, this was my first foray into podcasting, but I've written all my life. Um, I wanted to be a novelist. I tried my hand at writing screenplays. I wrote short stories. I do have one published novel called The Strange Tale of Hector and Hannah Crow, which is uh, about a family of ghost hunters. So it would be like a perfect PG level in the horror vein without being like too gross or scary. Um, I, I did movie reviews for the newspaper until there were no newspapers. Uh, <laughs> after that, uh, I did some YouTube uh, horror reviews uh, on a channel called Fright Flicks. That sort of got me used to talking and recording, working on my ums, which at first, you know, um, that can um, be difficult. Uh, also having kids and telling bedtime stories. So I got to the point where I didn't want to keep writing novels because it's navigating this system. N writing movie screenplays is navigating an even more difficult system. And then I thought back to A Prairie Home Companion, the radio show my parents used to listen to, which had sketches and music and storytelling. That's what I want to do. I want to do a horror version of that. And that first season, it is a little, you know, it, it can be a little jokey at times because I was still working it out, but I wanted to do some sort of horror variety show that was anthology enough. Every episode could be totally different, but that I also had the option to return to stories and play them out. Um, now I'm up to about 200 episodes. I have 20 or 30 recurring characters. All these different storylines, some of which connect, some of which don't. 
the goal is that somebody could listen to any random episode and get a beginning, middle, and end. Uh, get something satisfying. But then when you listen to more episodes, you start making these connections and seeing these recurring patterns because it's an anthology, but it's all one universe. All this happens under the same roof. Uh, just everything doesn't interconnect all the time. So um, did, did you make the decision to connect, to like have it all be within the same universe when you started doing this, or did it just kind of happen that way? That was my initial idea. Uh, over the first couple of seasons, um, I start introducing characters in all their own individual stories, all these different psychos and madmen and everything. Because I was leading up to my first like epic event, it's a six-parter called Night of the Long Knives, in which all of these previously established characters are in the same asylum, and there's a breakout, and they leave. So there are eight or ten killers laying siege to this town. And if you've listened so far, it is, I've been told by a couple of fans, it's like an Avengers moment. Oh, I saw all these individual movies. Holy shit, now they're all in the same movie. Mm -hmm. um, so, which is exactly the sort of thing I want to do. Man, that's awesome. I, so I have, I have kind of a personal question. If you, so as you're pumping out this content, how do mm -hmm. you reconcile the, how, where you fit within the millions or maybe even billions of other options of content that people can listen to? How do you, how do you keep going on knowing that there's so much other competition out there that people could, you know, look at and say, well, I'd rather spend my time doing this. Uh, yeah. And a lot of people do. Um, Honestly, I try not to think about it. Mm -hmm. uh, as I said, I, I've written for years and years. If, if I stop doing the podcast, I'm still going to want to write and, and tell stories. So I feel I present a unique product that isn't for everybody. Uh, my product requires a lot of patience. Uh, payoffs take time. But for a particular, for people like me that like long and involved stuff and they find it satisfying, um, I think I, I, I put out a, a superior product. So I'm, I focus on making every episode the best it can possibly be. And then I move on to the next one. And uh, I'm slowly building a listener base. One day, maybe I'll have that breakout episode that really draws some attention to me. Um, until then, I'm having a great time doing it, and it's very satisfying to me. I like that. I think that's kind of why we do it. I think we're almost doing this podcast if we were going to listen to it. We, we try to structure it in the way that um, would be engaging and create the content that we would want to listen to. And it sounds like that's something similar to what, what you're doing. I don't see any other way to go about it um, because the option is to try and figure out what other people are going to like and do that. Mm -hmm. And that just isn't genuine. Um, and it's always it's, chasing it's, something that's running away. It seems because yeah, what the crowd guys, wants you know, is always different. Aren't into it, then no one will be right. So. Yeah, totally. So, I, th I think there's a, a sense of being genuine and authentic 
that you have to figure out like am i doing this to be authentic or am i doing this to chase the likes i think there's a i would prefer to be authentic and then also everybody likes that authenticity (laughs) sometimes it doesn't always work perfect world how big is your audience size if you don't mind me asking um you know i have about uh 25 patrons um and at this point i really cater to them very heavily i i want to build that number i get about 100 downloads a day in general and that goes up and down depending on my release schedule mm-hmm. um but i haven't moved that needle in quite a while um it's part of the reason i've been trying to build up a patreon now for every two or three new episodes I release, I do a Patreon exclusive episode. Um, so I have like two seasons worth of episodes just there, um, which is a nice bonus. Yeah. Did COVID give you a big bump or how did COVID affect your listenership? Uh, it didn't affect it too much, I don't think. I would have thought it might. And you and you started in 2018, so this was COVID happened two years into your your project. Yes, roughly two years. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and it was near the end of 2018, so maybe like a year and a half. But gotcha. uh, personally, like uh, for my creativity, COVID was great. You know, I got, I did a lot of good work. <laughs> I didn't have all the distractions. Touching on the creativity, what's your creative process for writing these stories? How do you get inspired? What kind of research do you do? Um, The basis for my main ongoing storyline came from an unpublished novel. I've gone through all that material, but that allowed me to set up uh, the bones for what I'm doing now. Uh, The anthology aspect of it, I tell these stories, sometimes I don't get back to them for a couple of years and then I'll I'll revisit. At at this point, I feel like I've built this sandbox and I filled it with awesome toys so I can just walk around and play with all this different stuff. All these stories and characters and places and things uh, as I said earlier, um, I don't know if we were recording or not, but I, I think about it in seasons so that I can plot out 10 or 12 episodes at a time to make sure I have that variety, but also that I can tell some sort of overarching narrative through a season. Um, and I do get blocked creatively once in a while because... You know, I think I put out about 40 episodes a year, but for writing and recording and coming up with these ideas, it's a lot, you know? Um, yeah. How many words is it per episode? Roughly. Uh, I mean, let's see, what's a word count for a page? Uh, my average script is about eight or 10 pages long. Um, so five to 8,000 words, maybe. Okay. Um, it's hard to tell though, because since I'm not writing to be read, I'm writing to be heard. Uh, I don't use proper formatting on the page 
uh, I highlight and use indents and put words in weird places so that I, uh, as notes for my delivery when, uh, when I record, because I try to perform to some degree. You do oh, a great and, performance, by the way. You're, you have a, an awesome radio voice. And thank you. I've listened to a few of your episodes, and I really enjoy it. Uh, and you also mentioned research. That varies wildly from episode to episode. Sometimes I'll spend hours. Uh, I, I consult a lot of maps. Uh, I look at a lot of uh, historical dates. Um, over the last few years, I've got a couple of experts uh, like a pharmacist uh, is one of my patrons. He's my drugs guy. When I have like, dude, what drug cocktail would I use to induce a waking nightmare and sleep paralysis? And he'll go, oh, you do this and you mix it with this. And I've got a guns guy because guns come up a lot on the show and I don't know shit about guns. So, hey, you know, if you were going to kill Jason Voorhees, what gun would you use? You know, and then... <laughs> so... Uh, and then, of course, like reading history and folklore is always a source of inspiration. Yeah, that was one of the questions that I had for you is what kinds of folklore come up for you? I mean, in the United States, we have weird kinds of folklore like Sasquatch. And I can remember as a kid, uh, we would like if a, if a group of us got together out of sleepover or something, we might shove somebody in a bathroom with a light out and tell him to spin around three times and say bloody mary and then yeah. she was supposed to appear in the mirror and that terrified the hell out of us as kids um i was wondering what kinds of folklore inspire you the most i have drawn i i have gotten a lot of you said sasquatch i've gotten a lot of mileage out of the skunk ape yeah which is the, the southern version of that like a stinky bigfoot uh that's a fun one uh, a lot of native american tribes you know they have uh their mythology of the skinwalkers and the wendigo yeah um but if i decide it's it's kind of fun if i decide uh that i i, I want to learn something i'll uh like oh what's the folklore in japan and i'll spend a couple of hours just reading local stories from Japan and take inspiration from that. Or uh, I did a whole episode of uh, stuff based on South American uh, history and, and lore. So touching upon that, what is, what is something that was just wild and just three for a loop hearing about it? Um, well, uh, of that South American episode, there was a guy named Galviano who was a native and a tribal leader and the spanish got all the warriors and if they didn't kill them they would cut off one of their hands and let them go so that everyone would know that they lost galviano needed to be taken down a peg so they cut off both of his hands not only did he not die he used leather straps to tie knives to his stumps and led his people back into battle <laughs> I was like, holy shit. Uh, that's some gangster like, shit. I, 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 that's one of the rare instances where I just did like the true crime bit. I'm like, here's something from history that I, I can't possibly embellish this. It's already too fucking that's good. so awesome. Yeah. Galviana. I'm going to have to check that episode out. 
He's yeah, like a uh, South American tribal Wolverine. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Tradition de la Sangra is the name of that episode. Tradition of blood, blood, blood ritual. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. I like that one. Yeah, I know uh, something you're, you're talking about this, something that comes to mind is the, I was, I've, I've always kind of been into history and there's a, um, the last battle of Rome in Constantinople, the king led his uh, people in battle. I think it was in Constantinople. And that was the last like bastion of Roman culture. And I think they were fighting the, the people who would become the Ottomans. Um, and they lost that battle and it was the king. He was like, all right, guys, we're going to, we're going to fight our last fight. And then they ended up losing. I think that was the, the last bastion of Rome in like the 1300s. That reminds me of it. Fascinating stuff. So, um, I mean, I think we're coming up on time here to be, uh, that was a quick, quick episode. Wow. Wow. I know, right? It was a quick 45 minutes. Um, so we like to have some kind of call to action whenever possible, because when, when we hear something passively, maybe our listenership is in a car or washing the dishes, um, it can be tough to retain everything they heard. So one mm-hmm. call to action they could have is to definitely check out your podcast, but to give people something to do or think about, um, that maybe plays upon how they can integrate storytelling into their lives or get the kind of thrills they're looking for, what is something that people can do? Well, uh, to touch on something we were talking about earlier, uh, the, the one thing we can all do is be our most uh, authentic selves, as sort of cheesy as that sounds. So many, th- not necessarily the horror stories in my show, but I incorporate so many real life details, things that I overheard, um, bits of conversation, uh, cool details about people that make them unique. I steal all that shit and I use it to make my content more relatable, but so I love to surround myself with creative, interesting people, not necessarily agreeable, uh, I, I I love people that who are their authentic selves, um, and to some degree, I try to be that way myself. There you have it, folks. Be authentic, be genuine. <laughs> well, thank you, Nate. I loved your call to action, and I love your podcast. Um, One more question on before we let him go, Hunter. If okay, someone I'll... were to jump into your podcast, what would be the best episode for them to start? Uh, I think a really all-around fun episode that hits a lot of different types of horror is called The Dollhouse. Uh, It's got more than just music breaks. It has a a score to it. It's got great sound design. Uh, It's got a killer guest voice by my daughter who plays recurring (laughs) character named emily mason who is a uh, super genius who is also a complete psychopath and uh she has a pet uh a giant hulking retarded man a la uh jason Voorhees, 
So they're besties and somebody has the misfortune to run across these two besties and it gets ugly, but it's also very fun. I'm going to go so check out, dollhouse. I'm going to check out Dollhouse. I think every single one of our listeners needs to as well. All right. I like it. Thanks for having me guys. Uh, it was great talking to you. Yeah. Likewise, Nate. Love to have you on again. Absolutely. Thank you, Nate, for coming on to the Entitled Opinion Podcast. Listeners, please go check out A Scary Home Companion and download The Dollhouse. And just so y'all know, Nate, under his full authorial name, Nathaniel Hensley, has dropped a brand new book. It is called Bedtime Stories for Weird Kids. Go check it out on Amazon or wherever you buy books. We'll put a link in the description. He also has that other book out, The Strange Tale of Hector and Hannah Crow. Pretty cool. And if you could do something for us, if you're listening on Spotify, please answer our poll and our question. We like to get that feedback from you. We like to hear that entitled opinion from you. If you're not listening on Spotify, you can still reach out to us. You can answer uh, these, you could email us. You could email us at entitledopinionpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can go to our website, EntitledOpinion.com. You can check us out on Instagram. Our handle is EntitledOpinionPod because we got lazy and dropped the last four letters. That's it for today. That's all the calls to action. Now go out there, get busy, and get scary. Until next time.